Welcome to the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast, where we talk strength training, science, and all things performance for cyclists and triathletes, helping you be a stronger, more savvy athlete now and for many years to come. Here's your host, Menachem Brody. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 136 of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast. This week, we are going to talk about getting started in strength training at the end of your season. Now, before we jump into today's episode, we're going to change the format of the show a little bit. Uh, so in the introduction to the episode, I'm going to start giving a little bit of background as to what's been going on here at Human Vortex Training. Uh, this is something that some of my mentors do in their weekly or monthly phone calls uh, with myself or those they mentor, as well as uh, one or two of the podcasts that I really enjoy. It lets you really get to know the host uh, a bit more than just what they're sharing on the show. Now, before we get into that, uh, this week, just a reminder for those of you who are seasoned SSCT subscribers, there's a year-round strength training approach that we want to follow. And we talk about this in a number of episodes. We talk about the five stages of strength training throughout the year. That's actually one of our, our highest listened to and shared episodes that we've done, as well as a number of our previous guests, including uh, episode number nine with Dr. Stuart McGill. We talk about being an athlete 24-7, 365, uh, Tony Gentlecore. But really, what I'm getting at is there's a lot of information here on the SSCT. So if you're new or if you're seasoned, go back and listen to some of the previous episodes that pique your interest or are uh, in reference or alongside what we're going to talk about today. Uh, and if you can, go ahead and drop a quick review on whatever or rating or review on whatever podcast uh, platform you're listening to and give your favorite episode a share. That's how we can help reach more cyclists and triathletes here. So starting the new format for the uh, podcast here, just a really quick, uh, you know, letting you guys know what's going on here on, on my end of things. Uh, the last couple of months have been good, but tough months. Uh, our car has had a number of issues. It's going on 14 years old. So the ABS uh, modulator needed to be replaced. And uh, then we had some small things here and there. And then the transmission decided to give us some issues. Uh, so uh, it's been an interesting couple of weeks, but, uh, you know, teamwork makes a dream work. So my wife and I have managed to balance our working schedule while we found a new vehicle, a uh, used vehicle. Uh, thankfully, the used car uh, scene here is not as crazy as it's been in the States for the last couple of, uh, last year, really. Uh, so we managed to find a really nice used car uh, that was uh, well-maintained and, and will get us to where we need to be point A to point B. So that's a, a big relief. During that time period, my training has been uh, consistent. I've done two strength training sessions a week, uh, but the biking has been uh, non-structured. It's been like that actually for a couple of months, but uh, I've been really enjoying taking the kiddo out to ride. And uh, lastly, um, you know, I've had a couple of certifications that I've been holding for years, uh, some of them uh, going on over a decade. And as the expiration dates have come up here the last couple of months, I just find myself uh, not interested in, in going through the hoops anymore. Uh, I, I found that some of the agencies, there's really no added value uh, or added benefit both to me and to those I coach by holding it, uh, aside from the need to get new and more uh, CEUs. You know, as a CEU provider myself, I think at this point I have eight or nine courses available uh, for cycling and triathlon coaches on strength training. Uh, there's the two on Training Peaks University, strength training for cycling success and triathlon success. 
Uh, on my website, we've got a number. There's um, Foundations of Strength Training for Cycling, the Strength Training for Cycling Certification course, Stronger After 50 course, and there's a couple others out there. Um, but as a CU provider is when my eyes, you know, kind of, I knew it was always there, but it was just like, wow, I need to apply to as many of these CEU bodies as possible, governing bodies for CEUs, because there's coaches like me out there who are struggling to get CEUs. It's expensive. Um, and I just got to the point with some of the agencies where there was no benefit to me or those I coach for holding it, aside from the push for me to learn new things. And, you know, having been in the fitness industry now for 25, 27 years, in and around it with the last 20 coaching, um, I just find that I want to go deeper on things. So I hold on to, to two or three certifications. You know, the McGill Method Certified Practitioner is one of them. Um, the NSCA will probably be another. Um, but beyond that, uh, Postpartum Corrective Exercise Specialist being the, the other one, uh, I really don't know how many of the others I'm actually going to keep uh, current. You know, I have the Ironman certification. I, I went through that one. Uh, fairly impressed with that. Um, I just want to see, you know, what's out there. But I've gotten to the point where I find more value for those I coach by going deeper uh, and going back through courses and books rather than just going out for new ones just to tick the boxes and, and spend the cash. And um, my, my accountant pointed out last year how much I, I spend on uh, <laughs> professional development. Uh, and she was quite impressed. She said, I, I work with a number of uh, businesses and that are service industry and you spend the most on on really becoming a better professional you know kudos to you not her exact words but uh you know it's just something that uh i kind of lost the the drive to have lots of letters so that's kind of what's been going on with me here uh let's get over to today's episode getting started in strength training at the end of your season and the five eh, six steps that you need to take in order to help you be able to see great results for next season All right, let's jump into getting started in strength training at the end of your season. So this is mostly geared towards Northern Hemisphere athletes. Uh, many of us who are listening in, in North America and Canada and Europe don't even think about those in South Africa, uh, South America, uh, or in Australia and New Zealand. And there are quite a number of riders and athletes who are there who are just absolutely crushing it. We've seen a lot of Australian and New Zealand riders come up and really ride strong in the pro ranks the last couple of years. But with that in mind, and that is important to keep in mind, we want to get started with strength training at the beginning. And this can be a little bit confusing. Now, the last episode that we, we did uh, was episode 135, where we talked about the top three unconventional ways to see better results from your training. And this kind of parlays off of that. And I was split between putting it into the script for this week, uh, this week's episode or last week's. And really what it came down to is it fit much more with today's message and theme um, than an unconventional way. I do mention it a little bit at the end, but it is taking the time to unwind your body from the season. And this is something that everybody skips. I see it. I did it myself for three seasons. And when I finally woke up and, and realized that I was doing something really silly and, and cutting out a lot of the gains that I could get because I wasn't taking the time to prime the pump. Now, many of you out there, you haven't had water out of a hand pump. Uh, you haven't either lived rurally or you haven't been riding out in the middle of nowhere where... You know, uh, 
Mike knows where where there's a fresh cold water hand pump spring uh, in the Laurel Highlands, which was absolutely amazing. I think we went out in July to do a Laurel Highlands ride, and Mike was like, oh, we're going to go this way so we can go past and refill our water bottles after two hours. It was the, the second most tastiest water I've ever had in my life, and it wasn't just because we were two hours into a ride where it was like 93 degrees already. <laughs> um, but taking the time to unwind your body from the season is where you're priming the pump. In order for you to get water out of a, a hand pump, you have to sit there and work the handle and build up pressure over a number of, of minutes. You know, it depends on how deep the well is, uh, how far down the water is in the, in the natural aquifer. But long story short, you've got to work the handle a little bit and it takes a little bit of effort. Now, what I mean by this is the end of the season, we need to unwind your body from all of the positions and postures and and repetitive movements that you've done on the bike or swimming, running and biking over the last eight to nine months. Why just eight to nine months? Because for many of us, the base period is going to last about three months. You know, we'll say October, November, December, and then we get in, you know, maybe January or December, January, February for strength training, and then we get into riding our bike more. But we, we need to do even if we follow the, the five stages of strength training, as I laid out back in, I think, episode 15 or 19, something like that. It's our, our third or fourth most uh, listened to and downloaded podcast episode behind Dr. Stu McGill, uh, his pair of uh, episodes eight and nine. Um, we need to take the time to, to reset the body. This is where recovery and adaptation actually start. And many of us, myself included, forget it and skip over it because it just seems so silly. So in my newly released program, the Stronger After 50 program, there are three different tracks. There's body weight and bands, bands and kettlebells, and then kettlebells, dumbbells, and barbells. And for each of them, there's three different options for all of the different parts from number two to number six. So it's a six-part series. And part number one is end of season unwind. And this is a a four-week program. um, And what this program is built to do is help you to slowly bring your body out of that heavy riding position. You know, even as triathletes, the, the biggest sport is the bike. You know, and even as running, that's a lot of pounding on the body. So we've got to unwind the body, uh, give the tissues time to adapt to what's been going on, get into postures and positions and, and use our breath to unwind some of the tightness and closure of some of the joints. And this takes a little bit of time. Now, four weeks, the last week is actually almost like a regular training session. The, the tempo goes a lot faster. Uh, you move faster through the session. It takes around a half hour, 40 minutes the last week, as opposed to 45 to 60. Uh, and you just feel a lot better. Like the last week you go through this and you say, I'm ready to do some weights. Why am I doing another week? It's because that's that last little bit where you get a little tiny bit of water coming out of the, the pump that you feel that you, you're getting it. But it's those next two or three pumps that really start the water flowing fast. You go, oh, shoot, my water bottle's not open. I need to get it under. Because the second that you take the time or away from that strength training, the tissues are going to start to go back to what it's done the most of in the most recent history. And that's where priming the pump, step one, take the time to unwind your body from the season, prime the pump. You're working on your breathing. You're, you're recalibrating your nervous system. You're recalibrating your internal environment. You're decreasing your ride time, uh, hopefully, or, or 
Ideally, you're getting uh, refit on your bike at the end of the season, uh, maybe at the end of this four weeks where your body's kind of gone backwards a little bit, because if you get refit at the end when you've done all this mileage, uh, you're going to be in a very, very adapted position, which we actually don't want. We want to come up uh, with the handlebars two to three uh, millimeters, maybe even a little bit more, as much as uh, four centimeters for some people, depending on how aggressive they get, to take the stress off of the tissues in the body to allow them to have better breathing breathing and then over the course of the base we would bring you back down and we can get even more aggressive in your positioning now this is a step that'll be really important to help you to be able to see much better results and it just takes patience and time and understanding that it is a process that you need to go through to allow the body to go back to baseline in order to progress all right step number two it's all about movement quality, not weight. Now, I'm not saying this to go after those who, of the approach, you know, start with the bar for two sets of 10 and then go two sets of 15, two sets of 20, and then add two and a half pounds each side every week. I'm not going after any one approach. Any approach can work. What I'm looking at is what is the best practice? What is the best practice for long-term health and quality of life and performance? Because one of the mistakes that we all make with the weight room and strength training is we expect to see results like we do for our VO2 max intervals, two, three, maybe four weeks, and we see the numbers go up. And that's not how the weight room works. That's not how strength training works. And uh, one of my early mentors, uh, Brett Contreras, actually put this up on his Instagram, I think earlier this week or over the weekend, I can't remember, the beginning of September 2022, that a lot of people make the mistake uh, that strength training needs to come quickly, and it doesn't. It's about quality of movement. That's how you're going to get there. We want to go through as full of a range of motion as you can with great posture and and stability. And when I'm talking about stability, it's of the, the spine, so we're not having what's called butt wink, where your back loses that straightness and it, and it dips down and, and curves at the bottom. We don't want to do that. And this is where the step one, time to unwind your body from the season, allows you to improve also the movement of quality, uh, quality of movement rather, and the movement quality as you go through. Um, this is really, really important and is so, so overlooked. I, I have been sent by, by you, the listeners here, and those of you who subscribe to the YouTube channel, a number of you have sent me clips from other uh, well-known personalities who are also coaches themselves about how to do strength training. And they're asking, isn't this a recipe for injury? And most of the time the injury is, the answer is yes. Someone's going to get injured following this um, because they're not following basic principles of strength training or they're loading too quickly. It's about the movement quality, not the weight. If you're looking for, for strength growth, it's a primarily neurologically driven adaptation. And that means that the quality of the movement and your ability to go through and get tension and stiffness where you need it and movement in the right amounts only where you need it, that's what's going to help you get stronger and fitter, especially for cycling and triathlon. It's not about mimicking sport moves. You already get tens of thousands of repetitions, hundreds of thousands of repetitions of riding your bike every single day. Uh, you put the, the leg over the top tube. It's about the quality of the movements and how you're doing them. It's working on things you don't get in your sport. And this is where, you know, hinging or deadlifting has, has you know, got a, a fan base. Yeah, it's important, but for many of us, uh, more important would be learn 
how to pull, how to get thoracic extension without sacrificing uh, hip position. Uh, it's learning how to press overhead. It's learning how to maintain stiffness in through our ribs and pelvis while we move from the hip. And this is zoomed through. And I see this, you know, pretty immediately with the sales with the Stronger After 50. Like I said, it's geared towards Northern Hemisphere. And I've seen a number of people pick up number three. They just choose number three because it's hypertrophy and strength in the title. And they think, oh, well, I'm just going to get strong by skipping over the foundation and going right to hypertrophy and strength. And it doesn't work like that. Will you see results from the program? Yeah, absolutely. Is it going to be as good as if you pick the lower hanging fruit that was already ripe and that's going to give you a much deeper, more solid foundation? Absolutely not. Essentially, what these folks are doing, and I myself am guilty of this, the first three years that I was doing strength training, is you're skipping over the easy wins. Why not jump over all of the two inch, four inch, and six inch bars before you attempt to jump over a foot and a half bar or half a meter bar for those in the rest of the world? It makes a lot more sense to gain as many of the wins that you can by learning about how you move your body and the quality, not the weight, before you ever add an ounce to that movement. But as adults, it's boring. You know, many of the juniors that I work with do phenomenally well with this. They voice, hey, I'm bored. Why are we doing three sets of 20? Why am I doing four sets of 15? Why can't I add weight? I want to add weight. I added weight. And then we look at it. Well, how did that change your movement? They go, oh, well, that's not as good. That looks weird. Yeah, it looks weird because you're not ready. But it's only, it's only 10 pounds. It's only 10 pounds. But how you're moving, your strategy that you're teaching your nervous system is not quite there. So to put this and to close number two, it's all about movement quality, not weight, into perspective. It's like going from learning how to play the chords on your guitar to thinking that you're going to be able to, to jump immediately to playing Jimi Hendrix Purple Haze in two weeks, three weeks. It doesn't work like that. You have to go through and learn the chords, learn the nervous system programming to get the chord right every single time before you can go on to adding some weight or playing more complex things. Number three, build yourself a solid warm-up and keep it the same for two to four months at a time. Yeah, I'm really emphasizing that one, and it might seem a little bit uh, mean to put it that way or not nice, but months, months, people are floored and just don't believe that the warm-up stays roughly the same for two to four months. The track athletes that I coach here uh, for the national team, um, there are some of the exercises we progress, but we progress by keeping it the same and adding an extra set or adding an extra round of the exact same amount of time or adding two sets and going down in time or down in repetitions and looking for higher quality. This is what I think... As adults is where we screw up a lot. I, I can't, there was a, for a while there was a show called Adam Ruins Everything. I, I don't know if it was a YouTube channel or, or what, but some people had sent that to me, you know, you just ruined the strength training for me for cycling, like Adam Ruins Everything, and they'd sent me a clip. And it was hilarious, right? Because uh, he's going against common, commonly accepted practices that just don't actually make sense when you understand how things work. <laughs> so the strength training, uh, the warm-up, a solid warm-up for yourself should be three things. One, uh, aside from the physical preparation of raising your core temperature, uh, getting the nervous system ready for the movements and preparing you for the specific movements that you have, it should also be building the foundations that you need to have built. So for most cyclists and triathletes and runners, this is going to be the three that you're going to focus on. Number one is breathing. 
And this is a very basic exercise. That breathing exercise also gives us separation from the rest of our day, allows us to figure out where we're at mentally. I can tell you personally, when I go through my two breathing exercises my coach has given me, there are some days where I'm going through the first one. I've got one set for the first one, uh, two for the second, and then actually I have three. The last one is three sets. And I can tell in the first two exercises if I'm focused or not because I'm thinking about other things. And those breathing exercises not only allow you to tap into your positioning of the body, feeling where the air is going, uh, learning where your body is in space, but they're also giving you the opportunity to learn where your focus and mentality is at. And I can tell you, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast with the new segment, the last couple of weeks, I've been really bad about the first two exercises. I really have to either really focus the last two or three breaths because I, I push it out of my head. Don't worry about the transmission right now. We'll figure it out. Great. Someone else bought that used car that we thought was perfect. Fine. We're, we're going to be okay. We'll figure it out. <laughs> we live in a city with good bus transportation. We can make it work. Um, and then getting to the last exercise and finally getting into it. And, and if the first set, I'm not focused on the positioning, it goes by really quickly and I go, oh, oh, wow. I'm about to start moving some weight and have to be really dialed in. I can't think about anything else. So either I'll turn my music off or uh, I'll take my chewing gum out if I have it in, which is a bad habit. Um, and really... What I'm getting at, that solid warm-up should center you first and foremost with the breath work. It's not just about putting the reps in. It's about being mindful. The second part of it, it should be teaching you to be solid, to get stiffness where you get it or need it, rather, in through your midsection, not just where you're getting it. So this is a mistake a lot of us make. Uh, I am a firm believer in the McGill Big Three. There are lots of variations. You know, a lot of people um, are thinking, you know, if I just do the McGill Big Three, the, the, the McGill curl up, which most people don't do properly, by the way. Unfortunately, they read about it in an article and they, they think they have it figured out, but it's much more challenging uh, neurologically and muscularly than you think. Um, the side plank with the top foot forward, uh, that top foot forward is extremely important. And then a bird dog variation or a variation where you have to keep your ribs and hips locked together while getting movement only from the hips. Those should be the core, pun intended, of your dynamic warm-up. And beyond that, one or two other exercises uh, that will allow you to move better and prepare you a little bit for that session. So for a upper body oriented workout day, it might mean doing some uh, mid-back scapular work, Y's, T's, W's, and L's. Uh, for a lower body day, it might be hip lift march. And that's it. And you get into your, your explosive slash plyometric and then your strength training. But that dynamic warm-up should be kept the same two to four months at a time that allow you to get the repetitions in. It's that small dosing that you get that will allow you to improve how the body is moving and how it's producing that movement or stiffness and allow you to really see progress. And this is one of the biggest mistakes I see uh, young trainers, young strength training, uh, personal trainers make all the time is they are too quick to change the warm-up. They change, well, they must be getting bored of it by now. They're barely able to execute it properly, and now you're changing it up on them. Let them become a master. Let yourself become a master at these foundational movements, which are preparing your body to be nice and structurally sound around the spine, training the muscles to work in ways that you're not getting in your sport. The bird dog and the McGill crunch and, and the side plank top foot forward are phenomenal. They really call out a lot of the the deficiencies we have and can really challenge you. And there's, again, lots of ways to, to regress uh, and progress uh, these exercises to meet you where you're at. And over the course of those two to four months of doing this regular warm-up, 
you will see fantastic improvements in your on-bike results, not just from the strength training, but from the warm-up itself. So number three, build yourself a solid warm-up and keep it the same with a small variation as you need to prepare for that day's exercises. Number four, instead of adding weight or reps each week, aim for ease of movement, adding load only when it feels easier. Now, there's a little bit of an asterisk here that we need to pay attention to or, or a, a very specific detail. And that is, when you come into each session, you may find that your nervous system or your body or you mentally are more tired than you thought you were. And this has happened to me a number of, of sessions the last couple of weeks in particular where I walk in, I go, I feel pretty good. I slept well last night. I don't have a lot of stress. Things are on track to where we like them to go. Um, you know, the, the schedule for the week is worked out. So I know exactly when I have the kiddo um, and, and what I'm going to do with him. And things are easy. But as soon as I finish my warm up and begin my first exercise, I go, oh, that does not feel easy. So this hit me like a brick wall about five, six weeks ago. <laughs> uh, it was exactly two weeks before we, we took a vacation um, away from everything. I was completely offline for the first time in two and a half years. Uh, it was both terrifying and amazing at the same time for the first three days. But um, in my first set of squats and jumps, the jumps felt horrible. I could hear the landing. It was just sounded like a thud. And it was only on the 12-inch box, which was very low for me compared to what I'd been done the last uh, week. And the box height doesn't matter. What mattered is that it was not being executed properly. So with inside of this number four, instead of adding weight or reps, the ease of movement and add load only when it feels better, you need to pay attention. You may not be able to do the same weight or the same height as you used the week before. So the key here is aim for ease of movement or the ability to the level of execution that you have being extremely high. So for my jumps, I went to the six inch box and the gym owner was really nice. And he came over, he's like, are, are you kidding? Or are you just not feeling well? Cause your warmup looked good today. And I said, I, you heard my landing? He said, yeah, I thought you were messing around. I said, no, Archie, I am just fried neurologically. I don't know what it is, but I, I can't work today. So this is all I can do. And he said, wow. That's, that's really good. I never would have thought to do that. I would have just done myself and just kept going. I'll have to do that myself or, or something to that effect. And that to me was, you know, we get that reinforcement only because we understand ourselves. But in our world of cycling and triathlon, we are very competitive. We are hyper competitive. We chose a sport where we in our, and of ourselves are responsible for how we finish and how well we finish. So we have this sub conscious need that we've built over time through our cycling and triathlon that I have to get better each week. My reps need to look better. Uh, excuse me. My reps need to be more. My weight needs to be more instead of my reps need to look better. We have this trained response. Oh, I'm going into training. It has to be better than the week before in a measurable way. Ease of movement is very subjective. But this is where the best athletes do extremely well. And I've seen this with uh, two of the track athletes that I work with. I don't even have to say to them, you know, how does that weight feel today? They just take the weights off or they come over to me and say, uh, it feels heavy today. And I respond to them, okay, so what do you think we need to do? Well, you said the RPE is supposed to be seven today, but it feels like a nine. Should I go down? Do you think that would take you down to uh, RPE of seven? 
Yeah. Okay, I'll do that. And that's when you, you understand, when you get to that level, is when you understand your body. And that's how we build progress. Progress through strength training and even on bike and swimming and running is not linear. There's going to be good days and bad days. What matters is the quality of your running, the quality of your effort, the quality of your movement. And that's why you know all of the programs that I've been building for the last two years, it's been a focus on ease of movement and technical execution. So the Big Gear Blueprint, for example, mashing together uh, rule number three, uh, well, not really rule number three, but step number three in getting started to your training at the end of the season here, building yourself a solid warm-up and keeping it the same, and step number four, aiming for ease of movement. Uh, one of the new folks in the Big Year Blueprint, uh, Curtis is now about six weeks in. Um, we've had a couple bumps along the way. Uh, just life happens, right? But we start off where he had two exercises in his warm-up, and then the beginning of his strength training was his warm-up. Just we had more sets, smaller sets, allowing him to build that foundation. And as he's progressed for the last six weeks or over the last six weeks, I've just at pushed those exercises from being the strength segment back to his warm-up and decreased the total volume he's getting because his repetitions are getting better. His ease of movement is getting better. Um, when we spoke on the call last Tuesday, he, you know, I asked him, you know, are you feeling any different? He said, oh, yeah, I feel my posture is way better. A lot of these movements are feeling easier for me. Uh, you know, if I could just have life be a little bit easier to me or something along those lines, you know, I, I know that I, I'm progressing. I can feel it in my day-to-day. -day. That's how you know that you are progressing in your strength training. It's the ease of movement, the ability to get in postures and positions, uh, not feeling fried after doing a session. So you go, oh, wow, I feel surprisingly fresh after that strength session last night. Uh, not, oh, wow, I can barely walk up the stairs. So putting these two together, uh, building yourself a solid warm-up, and instead of adding weight or repetitions each week, aiming for the ease of movement, and then only adding load or repetitions when it feels easier, the results come way faster. And the Stronger After 50 program is built like that. Um, you know, that's built off of a number of athletes I've worked with over the age of 50, some of them well over the age of 50, you know, going into their early to mid-70s the last couple of years, who have had set PRs. You know, they've been cyclists and triathletes their last decade, if not a little bit longer, and they're setting PRs because we've changed how their approach their mindset to their approach rather has changed, uh, allowing them to focus on ease of movement. Can you do this easier rather than just doing heavier? And some of them had done some pretty heavy uh, exercises, heavy deadlifts, heavy squats, impressive numbers, even for power lifters. And I, I tell them as such, you're going to have to re-change your mentality as we go through the first two or three months because the sessions aren't going to change that month that much week to week. The sets and repetitions and the instructions may be the same because I'm trying to change how you're moving. And this approach isn't for everybody. I've had a, a, one person in particular the last couple of months uh, who started off, uh, their coach suggested we work together. And uh, the response after week number three was, hey, you know, the instructions and the sets and reps for last week were exactly the same. Shouldn't I be increasing the reps or the weight or, or changing the instruction? And we sat there together and looked over the video. And I said, does that look exactly the same? He said, no, it looks really different. I said, exactly. So why would we progress by adding load or repetitions if you can't do the desired movement? 
And for him, it didn't work out. The end of the first month, uh, we decided to part ways. And, you know, he's going to work with somebody whose approach he likes. Uh, I'm just going through what I found worked for the athletes I work with and, and for lifelong health and ease of, of uh, movement for you. And it's, again, not the approach for everybody. But if you're really serious about performance, that's the way you got to do it. It's not about adding weight or reps each week. It's about ease of movement and adding load or repetitions only when it feels better. Number five, pairing main exercises with physical therapy, prehab, rehab, uh, also poorly labeled as quote-unquote filler exercises. This is something that I talk about uh, at length in the Strength Training for Cyclist Certification, uh, also in the courses that I've put out uh, for a number of reasons, mostly because it's a way for us to make use of your time in the gym. And secondly, because it allows us to really see big improvements by a, a millimeter by millimeter correction. And what I mean by this is when we take the big blocks, so if we were to take a proverbial jar and fill it up uh, first with big stones and we look at it, we'd all say, yeah, that, that's pretty full. I, I'm sure many of you have heard that parable of the professor who takes the jar, puts in big rocks and asks his uh, class if that's all that could fit in there. And we all would say, yeah, you know, deadlifts and squats and bench press and rows and pull-ups and shoulder press and core. That's about all we can do. But it's not. The body is very dynamic. Uh, there's three planes of motion. It's not an anatomy lesson, so we're not going to get into those. Uh, but also, there are smaller muscles that have to work in conjunction with the larger ones, which our sports of swim, bike, and run uh, neglect or abuse uh, to be a little bit more... Uh, we'll say blunt about it. So these exercises can be put in and should be paired with the big main exercises, but the order of the exercise session matters a lot. So we won't talk about that. That's a whole other podcast in and of itself. Uh, check out the HV Training YouTube channel or previous podcast episodes uh, or any of the courses, uh, Strength Training for Cycling Success, Strength Training for Triathlon Success, or the certification course, uh, which, by the way, is now open 24-7, 365, so you don't have to wait for an, an uh, enrollment period to open anymore. But uh, for you that are listening, how does this work? How would I pair something together? Uh, well, number one is we, we need to understand what the main rocks are. So let's just say a deadlift. That tends to be very popular now. So uh, we would pair a deadlift with something that is going to help you be able to execute the next set even better by working gently or, or in very small amounts in a movement or a position or posture that's going to help you to be able to move better. So for some folks, an exercise that we might pair with deadlifts would be something like a prone glute activation. So you would do deadlift, a set of 10, let's say, for RPE of 7. So deadlift not off the floor. We would have you off of 6 or 8-inch box to make sure that you are going through the range of motion you have control over and good spinal alignment. Uh, your hips are moving with your shoulders when you come up. You're in a hinge pattern. We would then access or get access to the glutes through the nervous system by having you go through a prone glute activation exercise. And that's over on the HV Training YouTube channel. Uh, I'll try to remember to put the uh, link in the uh, show notes here for you, or in the description rather. And what that will do is allow you to get better glute recruitment when you come back for the deadlift. It also allows you to, to use the rest period for major strength training exercises. Now, the rest period when you're doing a neurological or plyometrical exercise, the exercise you choose to pair with it 
the stop clock doesn't start for your recovery until after you've completed that second exercise because those two are going to work together. So for power, explosiveness, uh, and, and plyometrics, the rest period starts after you've completed that complementary exercise because we need the nervous system and the muscles to be fully rested and ready to come back and produce the uh, properties that we need after you've gone through that rest period. We, we can't run it through. But for the rest of your strength session, this is how we make it so we can get a lot done in a 60 to 75 minute session. So this might be a band row, a one-arm band row paired with a bent over thoracic rotation. Uh, both of those are on the YouTube channel. So you'd be able to see this and, and move through these two exercises. So as soon as you're done with your band rows, you start the stopwatch uh, for your rest period of two and a half to four minutes, and you would go ahead and go through your bent over thoracic rotations. Oh, that took two and a half minutes. You only need another minute to minute and a half of rest before you do your next exercise uh, set for the band rows. And this is a great way that we keep you moving without getting you into the metabolic side of things. And uh, this is a point I want to make on this uh, number five pair main exercises with PT or prehab rehab exercises. We are not looking to make this into a cardiovascular or metabolic workout. We are not looking to raise your heart rate and keep you moving and feel the burn and really go through. We are very focused on intent and how you're moving, getting the right movement at the right places, and looking to improve and, and get better ease of movement, as per number four here, to allow you to improve how that next set of the main exercise is done. So there's a lot more to this, uh, but it is something that you want to pay attention to. I believe I've, I've given a couple samples over on PezCyclingNews.com in my uh, column for the toolbox. So you can check that out uh, or the YouTube channel or any of the courses I mentioned above or my book, uh, Strength Training for Cycling Performance. And the reason I'm mentioning these things is because these are resources that will give you the answers to your, the questions that you probably have listening to this. Because these five, six steps, there's one more we're going to talk about. Uh, these, these six steps that we're talking about are simple, but they are not easy. There are a lot of minutia to it. So I want to introduce to you here in the podcast, the main blocks to make you aware, and then let you dive down into the different steps. Now we're going to head over to the last step, number six. All right. Number six, keep it simple. Wow, is this something that I screwed up at the beginning of my strength training career, or is this something I screwed up at the beginning of my strength training career? Thankfully, it was just me uh, and not people that I was training. You know, through my first three or four years, I was doing stuff for myself. Uh, thankfully, I had a coach at the time who let me make some big and small mistakes, but not to the point where I would injure myself. And uh, it really is, you know, the longer I've been in fitness, you know, the last 20 years, the simpler my strength programs look on paper. You know, I, I can't tell you how many people, um, when they look at, I'm like, here's the session we're going to do today in person. They, they go, oh, that doesn't look like a lot. I smile and say, well, let's see what you think at the end. And we go through and at the end they go, wow, that was actually a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And this is where we're focusing not just on how they're moving, but the, the tempo and cadence at which they're doing the exercises. Um, point being, you don't need a laundry list of exercises. And uh, there's a number of resources I've mentioned here before, uh, the certification course in particular that goes into this. It really is pretty simple. The, the progressions for all of the major uh, points here, push, pull, squat, hinge, press, and rotary stability, 
Each of them has between six and eight progressions. They're all laid out in, in great videos so you can see. And there's nothing complicated about them. But then the only thing complicated about peak performance is the commitment to the process and the commitment to focusing on how you're doing things, not on just doing the fancy stuff. And this is where a lot of us these days are confused, thanks to Instagram, thanks to Facebook. There are a lot of 30-something uh, trainers out there and coaches or coaches who have experience and have finished on the podium numerous times more than I have in my career. Uh, so their palmares is way more uh, impressive than mine, and they're trying to make it seem like in order to get there, you have to do these really complex things. Well, I can tell you after working with world-class athletes and up-and-coming world-class athletes and national-level athletes in two different, three different countries that the athletes that get to that top level very rarely, actually not at all, are their trainings complicated. Their movements at certain points in their program may be a little bit more complex, but their coach, whether it's me or someone else who's writing it, is putting it in for a very specific reason. And I've seen world-class athletes. I've seen Hall of Famers and Pro Bowlers, football Ameri uh, American football players, doing a simple but not easy warm-up, sweating bullets and getting up off the ground and saying to the coach, I can't believe that still kicks my butt every single time. So every session, I think it's going to get easier. And it's just hard. It's because they're focused on how they're doing it. We, I'm serious. We're talking about Hall of Famers and Pro Bowlers, numerous multi-time Pro Bowlers. These are top of the top, cream of the crop in the world, and they're still working to master the basics. And that's what makes them the best in the world, is they are willing to focus on the fundamentals. And you hear that over and over again from the, the best in the game. Uh, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, you know, we look at other sports, and when it comes to cycling, we think, oh, you just need a really big FTP, a really big engine. But it also takes knowing your body well, knowing when to dial up or dial down, uh, and knowing the self-care that you need within it. And that's what we're seeing, a big shift in the cycling world. And uh, it doesn't need to be that complex. Should it be fun at times? Absolutely. I've got someone in the Big Year Blueprint. Uh, she's been with us now for, for going on nine months or a year, excuse me. Uh, and this past week, she's in a really busy part of her life. And I sent her a message this morning saying, hey, it looks like we need to make things a little bit more fun. Let's change it up. I'm put a circuit in for you. And the message back was, this looks amazing. I found myself short on time and on focus. So this looks absolutely perfect. There's a time and a place. You know, if someone walks in and sees her doing her workout, she might say, oh, that, that Brody guy is off the track. He's giving her a circuit workout. What does he think he's doing? Well, that's meaning her where she is right now. There are times where you're going to have to change it up, but keep it simple. There is nothing complex about her workout. The hard part is just getting it done, but she's committed. She's showing up to do the work. Show up and do the work consistently. Two to three days a week, and you're going to see fantastic results, but keep it simple. So there's a lot more to this. There's a lot of resources I, I mentioned. Uh, you can certainly pick those up. The Stronger After 50 program, uh, all six parts to it for the different uh, three different tracks are available on Training Peaks. Um, so you can purchase them uh, one at a time as you go through the season, or you can purchase them uh, all at once. Uh, to answer a common question, no, all of them are not in a single program, and I did that on purpose. Uh, having done this long enough, uh, I know that uh, in order for us to stay on track, life happens. Uh, so to purchase it, a lot of people look at a 50 
week program and get off track and they think they'll come back to it. It just works a lot better this way. It allows life to happen. So if you found today's podcast to be useful, please leave us a review. That would help me immensely. Uh, even just a rating on whatever podcast platform you're, you're listening to. And if you found this episode useful or interesting in any way, please share it with three other people that you know that you think or know need to hear uh, at least one of the steps that we have laid out here today. And this is hard fought working in the, the gutters, you know, day in, day out over the last 20 years experience. Uh, these sound easy, but these are hard won lessons to help you be able to not make those same mistakes that I have and to really see and get you onto the fast track for success. So until next time, remember, train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. That's it for this episode. Check out humanvortextraining.com for more great content and to keep learning.